Hey Dumpster Dwellers, we have a special interview with Jeff Lieberman for you today, but if you haven't listened to our latest episode, 325, Satan's Little Helper, make sure you go do that before you listen to this interview. Everyone else, enjoy. So is there? What, is there what there? Is Satan? In real life? Um, well, uh, for man, Satan represents evil, and evil does occur here and everywhere in the whole world. And so in that sense, Satan does exist, except that he doesn't look like anything. He, he doesn't go running around with horns and a tail. Unless, of course, she's wearing a costume like his little helper does. I mean, this is Halloween. Isn't that when all the creepy things are supposed to stalk the earth? It deals with demons. Demon resurrection and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant but are never truly dead. It's Halloween, gentlemen. It's Halloween, and have you forgotten? They're coming to get you, Barbara. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Trick or treat. Hey, Dumpster Dwellers, how you doing? Uh, we're back with another interview for you. Uh, today we're talking to Jeff Lieberman. How you doing, Jeff? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for joining us on here. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to, to talk to us about uh, your work. Um, and specifically, uh, Satan's little helper, because we had just reviewed that. So, yeah, so I, so we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of, kind of your, your background, like how, how did you get started in film and, and, you know, how, what was that, what was that path like in your life? Well, I went to art school, um, school of visual arts. And then, uh, once, you know, I was like an artist, I was drawing and cause I was very good at drawing and painting. And then, uh, the old, how do you make a living at that? You know, I didn't even think about it. It was just about getting out of the Vietnam War at that time, like everybody else. And then um, you literally had to pick a major and it was sort of like, um, hmm, which one can I actually make a living? And that was, advertising would have been the, the smartest in New York, you know, to directly go to work. Um, I saw the movie, um, when I saw Blow Up, movie blow up it just antonioni's movie it just literally blew me away and i said wow i never thought of movies as an art form and so that's what got me so you go to make your first film right so did you work at so how did so how did that all happen like when you rolled into squirm um you know were you working under uh, some people first or you don't go and make it <laughs> right exactly <laughs> there was so many things that i did um, I'm writing, a, I wrote a book, by the way. Oh, you did? But yeah, yeah. I have a, I just finished it and I'm having somebody do the artwork now. And it's basically, it's my entire career. It's not a personal memoir. It's a career memoir. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to read that. Do you got, you got a name for it yet? Um, I do. And, uh, it's called, um, Day of the Living Me. Okay. All right. Which is the title. And then the subtitle, I'm still wrestling with 
um, you know, fuck, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'm going to keep my eyes out for it. That's why I want to know the, know the name. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, when I get it finished, I'll promote it. Um, I mean, it's finished, but it's just now I'm putting together the, the artwork and stuff. Yeah. The publishing portion. Yeah. It, it's going to be a very good, um, for people who have any interest to go into uh, that line of work, um, it's not do it the way I do it, did it, but it really, maybe you'll say, well, I would have done this different or that different, but it's really in detail of how everything went down. So as far as Squirm, um, I did a film, I worked in advertising, you know, I was young, so I like, I worked in at Canon Films when I was 19. Oh, that's so cool. They were doing uh, um, softcore porn. <laughs> you know, like Inside Inga, Outside Inga. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. You know, all those Swedish films where they would um, take the films and and kind of America. Well, first of all, they had to dub them, you know, or put sub subtitles because they were Swedish. And then the other aspect was... Uh, there were certain things that could, it literally had to be softcore. So certain things they couldn't show. And I got, got a job as a um, an apprentice editor for this woman who was doing editing these films. Um, and just I was just pulling shots for her, um, you know. So I'm watching. I'm getting paid to watch porn. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good deal. And uh, down the hall, I hear um, this voice echoing, saying, uh, you know, the problem today, it's and the they're all the taken and then welfare. I said, Jesus Christ, who is that? And I, and I go outside and I realized it's a movie. It's not a person. You know, it's because it repeated. So I see this guy. In one of the rooms, his name is, uh, you know, William Sachs? Uh, yeah. Melton, yo, it was Billy Sachs before he directed anything. And, and he's, he looked at me and I'm saying, what the fuck is that? And he says, wait, listen to this one. And he was playing all these great, great. I mean, it sounded ridiculous that somebody would be saying this stuff. Yeah. What it was, it was uh, a movie called The Generation Gap that Billy... That was a ter that got terrible, um, you know, a screening, a test screening. People walked out. It was a disaster. So they gave it over to Billy to, um, you know, salvage it. And he thought the best thing in the movie was this guy. Okay. Right? And the more he played these things for me, we were both cracking up. <laughs> anyway, he convinced <laughs> him to change the movie to the name of the guy, and that was Joe. Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, the movie Joe made canon. They went public off. I mean, the movie made a fortune. Oh, yeah. Launched Peter Boyle's uh, career. But it also, um, you know, and John Avelson, who got fired from the Generation Gap. It was so terrible. They <laughs> kicked him out of the editing. <laughs> he got, he was the director. And then off that, he got to direct Rocky. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so there's so many things that are in the book, um, but it it so it's not like I rolled out of bed and did squirm. I did so right. many things. I I'm reading my own book and saying, 
you did what? By the time I was 25, I did all that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I did the art of film with, uh, I worked at Janice Films and I did a thing called the art of film. I worked with Rod, I was directing Rod Serling. Wow. And uh, for six episodes of that and Laurel and Hardy, I recut the Laurel and Hardys for TV. Really? The big thing I did was a movie. uh, My first film was a thing called The Ringer, which you can actually out there in Google, uh, you can go to um, on YouTube, just put in The Ringer, uh, Jeff Lieberman, and you'll see it's like 19 or 20 minutes, a short. And I wrote and directed that uh, for King Features. It was off that, it won every award uh, that a short could win, you know, and it wound up being the thing that I was able to it didn't get me squirm. What got me squirm is I wrote a script on spec and that script, you, I said, I also want to direct it. And so, because I had done the ringer, they said, okay. So there's a lot of stuff that went down before squirm, which is people just think that, you know, somebody called me up and said, Hey, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wish someone would do that to me if it was that easy, you know, <laughs> Right, yeah. It just called me, and then here's the job. Okay, perfect. Here's the treatment. Okay, here you go. Here's the money, and you're directed. Ed Pressman also wanted to do it um, at that time. So I actually had – I didn't have a bidding war, but, you know, they um, – <laughs> John Avelson wanted to uh, – um, they wanted John Avelson to direct it. Really? Well, they – what would you rather have? John well, Avelson – or a guy who ne- who never directed a feature. Exactly. So then John, he just needed the money, and he was waiting for Rocky to uh, to get you know made. And so um, he offered to be the director of photography, and I said no because if the movie comes out shit, <laughs> it's the last movie I'll ever make. And if it comes out great, they'll say that's because John Allison really must have directed it. Mm. All right. Blue situation that I passed on came out pretty good. Yeah, it's so. How do you how do you feel about it being on like Mystery Science Theater three thousand? Like, is there a stigma around that, or or you know? Well, there is a stigma around it that that the stigma part didn't bother me at all. What mm-hmm. bothered me, and I, I knew, you know, there's a hor- the, the horror uh, fans as a niche audience, not so much niche anymore, but the general public, um, what did Paul Simon say? They hear what they want to hear and and disregard the rest. Right. No matter how many times I say the reason it had to do with money, some jerk, uh, MGM was going um, bankrupt at that time. And MGM had the, the distribution of squirm among a lot of other movies. So these sales guys that get a, you know, a commission, they didn't give a shit. They just wanted to sell, sell, sell and get their commission before the company went under. And that's how that happened because um, Mystery Science Fiction was happy to grab a movie like Squirm because Squirm was playing on its own. It didn't need a, a Zachary or Elvira you know, it didn't need a certain show to make it work where the movies that they played on um, those shows, they got for spit 
because it, because whoever owned it, you know, the mummy's ankle, you know, whatever. Right, right. <laughs> uh, it's either that or it's not going to play at all on television, mm-hmm. right? So they right. so whatever they can get them for thousand dollars, five hundred, whatever. It was it was um, found money to all those movies because they didn't know a lot of it was in black and white, and you couldn't give away uh, black and white movies to syndicated television. And then cable. So um, these guys just didn't give a shit. When I called up, I was I found out about it, and that's the reason I was furious because I own twelve percent of the movie. Right. And when I got um, I got somebody on the phone. It was like high up there at MGM, and he was surprised. I said, well, "It's your company. Like somebody did it and made that deal." Right. And and then you know, ironically. So anyway, as far as the fans and all, Jeff, Le- they, all they have to write is Jeff Lieberman. Because the easy, easy thing is, oh, Jeff Lieberman's pissed off that they're ragging on his movie. Like, wait a minute, I made a movie about electrified worms taking over a town in Georgia, and I'm gonna worry that you're goofing. <laughs> I mean, in the movie itself, I, I, I think that the reason that it, um, it's, it's popular for so long is that we recognize it's you know the tone of the movie and the way it's done is very consistent there isn't a joke that you can make that i wasn't we were not we're trying not to laugh at while we were shooting (laughs) you know what i mean yeah 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 think that you know it's like that to me is embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for them that they think they're being clever by pointing these things out when we, you know, how many years ago we were standing there saying the same exact thing. Whoa, you guys are really sharp. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times I say it, and I can say it here, you know. Sure. Why, why would I care? What I cared about is 12% of the movie mm. that really was damaging because not only um, sales that they didn't make in lieu of that, but it lowered, like you said before, the stigma for later on, mm-hmm. how can you showcase this movie when it was, you know, one of many of the crapola movies that they, uh, that were, it set a very low precedent for the money, you know, right going forward. And uh, that's, so I have no idea how damaging it was. And I talked to the original, uh, some guy in Chicago, I think. I literally called the guy at home that created that show. Joel Hodgson? I don't remember, but I was living in Beverly Hills. I called this guy. He was raving about the movie. <laughs> and I said, you know, it was on. He said, no, I left the show. The original guys were no longer with the show when, when Squirm was on. For me wanting to like vent like to find out all i was calling i wasn't blaming him but i was trying to find out who was the salesman that did this like you dealt with so i could go to him you know Mm -hmm. yeah and uh and it wound up this guy um (laughs) inviting me to a party in in la (laughs) because he he had no idea um you know the creator of the show he was gone from the show and he was a huge fan of mine and and the movie wow (laughs) <laughs> you made a friend mm, there you go 
I have a friend. I don't remember his name. <laughs> well, you know, for a moment there, sure. Whoever created two guys created that show. Yeah, uh, Joel, Joel Hodgson, and uh, um, I think there's another gentleman too, but I'm, I'm, his name is escaping me at the moment. All right, so scooting on down the lane, you got Blue Sunshine coming up next. So, so with that sale of Squirm and, and how that all kind of panned out, like how how did you roll into that? Well, it's the same producers. You know, the same uh, Squirm, uh, we finished it and they took it to the Cannes Film Festival. And um, I don't know if you ever heard of Sam Arkoff, AIP. Uh, yeah, AIP, yep. Yeah, so Sam loved the movie and uh, he said, I want this picture for the world. Put <laughs> <laughs> the whole shooting match. So they got all the money, the producers got all the money back immediately on the, on the movie and it guaranteed going into profit squirm made a lot of money over the years um my first house i bought a house when i was 26 in westchester and then we called it the house that squirm built <laughs> <laughs> basically uh it was that and uh, by the way when i came up with the idea for squirm and i yelled out the idea to my wife she was cooking at the time and i said what do you think of this squirm and i and i spelled it s-k-w-o-r-m because i was trying to be cool <laughs> okay <laughs> and i just wrote it out with a pen and i said um squirm uh a town a small town gets electrified by a, a, a big summer storm and uh the worms come out of the ground and overrun the town and she said it's the stupidest idea i ever heard <laughs> And to this day, you know, I it, I agree with her. I mean, you know, it is a stupid idea, but stupid, what she didn't realize that I was ahead of my time is stupid is good. Stupid is not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I like stupid. You do it right and you do it, uh, you don't take it too seriously, you know. Make it fun. That's the big one. Yeah. So Blue Sunshine, we, yeah. I just rolled right into it because it was the same producers and they got their money back. And uh, so it was right there. They loved the idea. And um, the only thing is that I wanted to do it in um, in um, New York City, and it would cost a lot of money, which they didn't have. And then uh, we wound up doing it in Los Angeles for much less money. Um, so the challenge of doing Blue Sunshine at that time with that amount of money is it was pretty much exactly how much money they were spending on movies of the week, you know, right. The movies of the week were all shot in Los Angeles. So it was like, how do you, you're going to go to the same location downtown, mm. you know, the same and, and not make it look like a movie of the week. Right. That was a real challenge. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But now that you say that, it's like, yeah, that, you, directors probably deal with that all the time. You don't want it to look like the movie that just came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and the budget has a lot to do with it. And sure. Shooting days, you know. So, but then I finally realized that instead of trying to um, compensate by fancy camera moves that I didn't have the time for, even though I did, in a lot of places in Blue Sunshine, do stuff that they would never do on a, a, a TV movie. You know, it just takes too much time, even if you have the creativity. It's still, I realized in the final analysis, it was the subject matter that no, at that time, nobody's going to do a TV movie about LSD. Right. It was that 
at that time with commercial television. There was no cable yet. No, and it, and that's where I feel like that f- that film really got its uh, its due is when it hit is when it hit cable. No. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know it was funny. I was shooting remote control in L.A. in San Pedro, and somebody says, "Hey, Blue Sunshine's on tonight on Channel 5. So everybody in the, no. all the people <laughs> were working on a movie uh, that didn't see the movie. They went home and watched uh, Blue Sunshine. That is that's pretty cool. <laughs> It was, it, but the real the real thing was uh, when it when DVD and uh, Blu-ray. Uh, what happened with Blue Sunshine uh, and along with thousands of other movies is I don't know if you ever heard of, of Movie Lab, the the labs for the studio movies and mo- Movie Lab was like on the bottom of the studio shelf. Gotcha for the processing and what have you. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do everything. Yeah. And they were going out of business because of obvious reasons things going on to video and mm-hmm. um uh and they had a flood in new york and that's where the negative was stored and everybody Ugh. thought producers thought it's gone and what happened was bill lustig and and frank henenlotta and uh they went with a pickup truck or some kind of truck and they went into movie lab which was abandoned and flooded and they grabbed all these <laughs> negatives and Frank never told me. I know the guy. He didn't remember. But Blue Sunshine was one of them. And so 20 years later, we could have made so many sales on that film if we had the materials. Um, about three years ago, I get a call from a guy who says um, that um, they found a, a, a box labeled Blue Sunshine in uh, Seattle at Varney's uh, warehouse. And they opened it and there were mint condition, all five reels of wow. negative. And it was so pristine. We did a, um, a 35, we did a 4K transfer. And with a little bit of color correction, that thing looks at least as good, if not, I think, better than the original release print back in uh, 77 wow that's amazing now you did a limited edition blue of that didn't you not too long ago that's the that's one and it, mm-hmm. it just looks i mean i've had it i made it we made a dcp and i've screened it mm-hmm. all over the world at um you know festivals in theaters that have like anywhere from two to four hundred thousand four hundred people and uh you know on the big screen and it, it it looks it's incredible to me, and it it still has the original. We didn't do any of that fake grain thing that they do. Sure, it has the original uh, grain just the way it was, color everything. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank goodness that, uh, oh, that yeah. Frank and Bill went in there and, and collected everything as much as they could anyway. I know, but I wanted to strangle him. I said, "Why didn't you years ago? <laughs> we took so many movies that he just." forgot yeah yeah you could have got all those uh, early dvd and like the uhd uh sales before uh what was those that microsoft had this the uh ultra hd or whatever before sony took them out we put it out in uh don may and uh synapse put it out in uh, like in 2003 he took a terrible 35 millimeter print that he got from the british film institute mm-hmm. and it was so horrible and he spent a fortune rejuvenating it for a dvd well wow 
<laughs> as good a job as he did. He did as good a job as you could sure. do. It looks like total crap compared to what we did because we and we didn't have to do anything because it came off the original negative. Right. Blu-ray in 4K. So you, you can get twice the information there anyway. It's amazing what uh, these companies are able to do with these uh, movies nowadays. It's like blows me away all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they can't change the plot though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that's one th- well, I mean if they want to go in there with the scissors, I guess they could. But... Uh, plot master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this movie doesn't make any sense. Well you hit make pull down the menu, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I need that in real life. Oh man, yeah. Especially now. Yeah. So you come off Blue Sunshine and you direct uh, Dr. Franken with Robert Vaughn. Now, I've never actually seen this. Um, it was a made-for-TV film. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that and how that came about? Really, I didn't finish that film. I got ceremoniously canned ah. or unceremonious. I don't know. There were no ceremonies. <laughs> but, uh, it was my idea. I didn't write it. And it was one of these situations where, like, you know... This is before they had the expression being on the same page. These guys did drama. They were the, like the anti, why they were doing it for NBC. They did like the Holocaust, um, you know, like right, right. playwright stuff. Um, Herb Brodkin, you know, like, uh, and, and what, so they didn't, science fiction or horror or anything was not even, it was so alien to them. And I don't know why it wound up that way that that they were the ones i think that the network owed them an output deal or something but man it was like you know it, it just you gotta if you're gonna do a movie like that and the idea is somebody bringing back from through body parts you know and so many people ripped that off by the way that idea of taking uh, a john doe that's um got all these uh organs he's still alive but he's not conscious and taking the organs um and and from from different sources and rebuilding a human right right and that and that's what it was robert vaughn was dr franken but they try to make it like absolutely real which this couldn't happen especially back then sure it's a weird weird thing yeah like be, like not having any fun with it and really trying to base it in reality as much as they possibly could each is i just was lost i said i don't i don't know how to see when i was you know one of the things was i didn't write it and it's so easy for me to direct something I wrote because it was already, while I'm writing it, I'm visualizing how I'm going to do it, the style, the pace, yeah. everything. And here I am, like, how do you make this real? It's stupid. <laughs> is that anywhere to watch? You know who has a 16 print is uh, Ken Keish. You know him from uh, Cinema Wasteland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a, I don't know where he got it, but he has a 16 millimeter print of it. That's really cool. Yeah, and right after that, I went to uh, Just Before Dawn. My favorite film of yours, and I feel like um, it's probably one of the best slasher movies ever made, um, if you even want to call it that. Well, that's the thing that, you know, it's funny that the slasher thing, I gave up on telling people, you know, it's not a slasher, because what is a slasher? That at, When I made the movie, the term didn't exist. Sure, sure. Carpenter, John Carpenter made Halloween, and he didn't say, gee, I got a good idea for a slasher. Yeah, <laughs> well, right, and Bob Bob Clark makes Black Christmas, and then right off that comes Halloween. 
And it's like, well, that wasn't done yet. Nobody, but nobody uh, back then um, thought in those terms, you know, that, right. uh, that, you know, it just, it's kind of silly if you think about it, that when, when Led Zeppelin started, um, and then there was this, a group called Grand Funk Railroad, and all of a sudden, heavy metal. But the guys, Robert Plant and all, they, those guys were around. Jimmy Page, they didn't say, hey, let's put together a heavy metal band. No. <laughs> Imagine if they did, right? No, so it goes for everything had to be labeled after the sure. fact. Because you know, they don't give people the benefit of the doubt of having a brain. So you have to put a label. <laughs> yeah, sure. And then you go, well, it's the best slasher in the woods. <laughs> this one is the best slasher on a canoe. <laughs> You have to, everything has to be packaged like uh, fast food. Right. And it works. It works in marketing. Mm -hmm. It makes mm -hmm. it easy for people like, so then, and then the other thing that is such an insult to my intelligence anyway, they base a movie on the kills. Yeah. Oh, totally agree. And how good the kill. So when I saw, I mean, frankly, God bless them. Friday the 13th, I saw the movie back then because mm -hmm. I, they were showing me the movie after I shot, you know, I was finished with just before dawn. And then mm -hmm. that movie came out while we we're editing it. And the producer says, can we make it more like that? Oh, <laughs> first of all, it's impossible. It's a different, totally thing. Sure. And I'm saying, so here's a movie that is making so much money. Cause wow. A hatchet in the forehead. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, just a series of different ways to kill people. And then, you know, it's basically basically a, a movie showcasing uh, special effects. Yeah. Yeah. The star of that film is, is Savini, you know. With an inane storyline and an inane everything. Characters. Nothing matters. It's like, oh, that's cool. The head fell off or whatever. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I'm thinking... First of all, I know for one thing for sure, you don't need me to make a movie like that. You know, I if I sound disrespectful, it's probably because I am. <laughs> I totally get it, though. <laughs> They're John Carpenter, okay? Mm -hmm. Guy's a genius. Why? Because he makes Halloween this singular one note. He's not trying to develop characters. He's not trying. I never saw anything like it when I saw that movie. It's like he's... Um, like you take a knife and cut straight through. It's like a one note movie. And then he's smart enough or talented enough to make a soundtrack, his own music, like somebody can play on the piano with one finger, mm -hmm. you know, not a big wide orchestration thing. It was just a singular thing for 90 minutes, beginning, middle and end. It was a perfect movie. Yeah. But it wasn't a slasher. I don't even remember how did he kill people in original ways? I don't. I don't remember. Not really. I mean, no, they're pretty generic, actually. <laughs> they're effective, but you're right; they're not uh, over the top, really. No. Yeah, and what and and you know the interesting thing is that um, when when John um, he did he worked with the same crew, which is getting into this other movie. He always worked uh, with the same guys in the non-union and. Uh, uh, what was his DP's name? Uh, Dean Cundy. Mm -hmm. He shot Halloween. He shot The Fog. And uh, so when I was going to do Just Before Dawn, and we knew we were going to shoot on the West Coast, not in L.A., but we're going to hire people out of L.A., I said, I don't have a crew to put together. 
I called John. <laughs> I, I wish I had a record. I said, <laughs> John, can I have your crew? <laughs> can I have your crew? And he says, if they, no, that's a good time for them. And they all love you and all that. It's like, boom, I had the whole, including Dean Cundy. And I knew, I said, what a major score, because these guys are fast. They know how to deliver, put it on the screen. You know, I, they're, if they do John's movies, um, it's good enough for me. I'm going to have a ball. Yeah. Speed up the shoot. They get it. They're not going to have any of this pretense of union crap. Sure. And then, and then Dean Cundy comes to me when we're already casting, and he said, he, he asked me, he said, look, I'm committed to make the movie, but John's doing a movie, um, what would it be in 1980? Would it be The Fog or after that? Uh, I, th I, th I think doesn't The Fog comes out in 1980, doesn't it? I think that's the next one. I'm almost positive. Maybe it was the movie after that. Because what I'm saying is it, w it was John's first union movie. So it must have been a studio. He did Escape from New York in 81. There you go. Could have been Escape from New York. That sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, it probably was because <coughs> that's that's when um, Dean said to me that he has a chance to get into the cinematographer's union to shoot that picture. And I couldn't say no. You know, he's saying, if yeah. you say no, I'll stick with Just Before Dawn. I said, do you think I want a DP that doesn't want to be here? <laughs> exactly. That, that wants to, they, you know, that... And I just said, no, you owe me one. Uh, good luck. I never cashed in, though. <laughs> but I kept the rest of the crew. And they were great. You know, the, especially the art department. They were just, they were so uh, ingenious. And they mm -hmm. just knew how to, you know, the, I, I could see why John liked them. You know, but yeah, one yeah. of the things that was kind of a negative was that I'm not John Carpenter. Oh, I'll, here's a story. When his movie was called The Babysitter Murders. Yes. Okay. And so when I did Blue Sunshine and it was finished, I got invited to the London Film Festival. And the invitation, it said, you know, they'll pay for a hotel room. But back then they didn't fly you there. And I lived in New York. I had no money. Just we bought the house that Squirm built and we had enough money left over for like peanut butter. Right. <laughs> so it was like, I didn't even know what a film festival was. And I said, fuck them. If I'm not going to pay the, you know, my own money to go to this thing. And um, John's um, movie. Wait, how could this be? Was it, how could it be Escape from New York? Wait, yeah. Assault on... Uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah, that mm -hmm. movie went to London Film Festival. That makes sense because I did Blue Sunshine that would be in the same London Film Festival. Yeah, right there. Mm -hmm. That movie was there. And when I met John for the first time, he was being interviewed by the New York Times and I went to dinner with them. And um, this woman's writing down, you know, for an article on him. And I said, uh, you know, he said, how come you didn't go to the... Uh, the, the London Film Festival, because he was there with Deborah Hill, his producer. And I told him, you know, they didn't pay. You know, he said, you have a movie in these things and you want to make sales and stuff or get action or get another movie. You have to go in person. 
you know, and I was right. even guaranteed um, the film festival. London told me that the critics love my movie because they don't want me to come and then they're going to boo my movie. You know? Sure. So it's already been pre-screened. So everything was set up. And John said to me that, and to his credit, he said that they liked my movie best in the whole festival, including his. And the critics, the reviews, the same thing. He said, but you didn't go. Mm-hmm. He did. And that's when he was in the lobby, Mustafa. A god, yeah. Yeah. Came and gave him that script, The Babysitter Murder, saying, We have 300,000. Uh, can you guys do this? Just because he was there. <laughs> yeah. So I said, You know, I said, All right, let me get this straight. So if I would have gone to London, <laughs> you could have directed the, it. The Babysitter Murders, and, you know, and, and I said, well, let me tell you something. First of all, you guys took the script and you ch- said, you know, think about that movie. There's no reason it has to be on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Right. The guy's mask and everything has nothing to do with, and, and the fact that it's Halloween is not um, germane to the, to the story. Like Satan's Little Help, but has to be Halloween. Sure. Oh, yeah. So, but they had this sense of brilliant. To change that just so they can call the movie Halloween, which is a great title. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, number one, I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) But two is more important than number one. I would have given it socio, you know, political statements, humor, my shtick. Sure. And would have totally fucked it up. And then critics would say, you know, I see what Lieberman's trying to say and all this and wittily this and wittily that. And it would wind up, forget it, like his movie, I never, in other words, I'm not John Carpenter. Right. Sure, sure. And I really appreciate, I just don't like the people who just hacks and don't have any talent. He's a huge talent. Right. He doesn't have to be my talent. He can't do what I do. He makes more money doing what he does. I have no interest in doing what he does. And there's only room for one man in dog. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you know, and, and every every director and every writer, you know, everyone involved in a film is going to have their touch on the project that's going to make it different than if anybody else did it. And I think that's why we like these kind of movies in general. Yeah. yeah. Well, back then, everybody did. Now yeah. it's, it's totally... Uh, well, sure, sure. Grinding it out. Everything is an homage. Yeah. <laughs> It's like French word for stealing. <laughs> you don't have an original. In my opinion, it's like, look at everything that's been done and like eliminate that. Okay, somebody already did it. You don't have to do it again. Right. Completely agree with you. Speaking our language. The zombie thing. I mean, first of all, I didn't like the, um, the Night of the Living Dead when I saw it. I thought it was like completely stupid. <laughs> You know, don't forget, they weren't called zombies. Sure. True. Ghouls. When he did that movie, there was no word zombie. The zombie movies were made in the 30s, and it was in Haiti. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a whole string of zombie movies where they take a drug, and then they, they're like the living dead, and they don't even say that. Maybe in the dialogue they do. But it's these guys in Haiti that had the bulging eyes. Remember, those were zombies. Yeah, the the magic, the voodoo and stuff. Yeah. George's movies um, were not... They were not called zombies in the movies. He didn't call them zombies. And uh, uh, so, but when I saw them, um, you know, trying to get into the house, and you see all these zombies waving their arms, 
you know, reaching out and waving their arms and making these funny sounds. And I remember thinking, I could see the director, like somebody saying, so what do we do? <laughs> uh, I don't know, like, uh, you're dead, so wave your arms. <laughs> There's no correct way to walk like a dead person or, what, you sure. know, or right. flail your arms like a dead person. So I just thought it was not even the least bit scary. I thought it was so moronic. I totally understand what you're saying. And And then, so, okay, great. Good for him. Uh, it didn't really, it was not a big hit. Dawn of the Dead was a big hit. Yeah, true. But, you know, it, it, it got this great following after the fact. But, you know, okay, great, you did it. But you need 600 of them? Yeah. <laughs> I got an idea for a zombie movie that takes place in the castle. I got an idea for a zombie movie that <laughs> takes place in outer space. <laughs> right. I don't have an idea for a zombie movie. That's Where's originality? I don't know. Right, mix it up a little. Yeah, but the you know Hollywood doesn't want that though. You know what I mean? And everybody trying to make a movie is trying to make something that's going to sell. You know. I got news for you. Hollywood is not a guy with a cigar. <laughs> doesn't want anything. It's not like the Wizard of Oz with this right. guy behind the curtain. There's no such thing. What Hollywood only wants is to make money. Yes, exactly. Sure. Yeah. So if you do, you know, at the time when they were saying. Uh, um, boxing movies don't sell. Or sports movies don't sell. You do Rocky. They didn't say, well, I don't want to... Uh, Rocky just made $200 million. That's what they want. They go, yeah. oh, shit, I was wrong. <laughs> exactly. Well, right, yeah. They take a lot less chances now, though. Well, they don't, you know, like say something with Rocky. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any faith in it, and that's what they said you do it for a million dollars and not a penny more to the point that um, I happen to know, cause I wrote a script for Bob Chartoff uh, who produced Rocky and uh, they had a three picture deal with United artists. And one of them was with Nuriev playing. Uh, I don't know what he played, but he was a big, he was the star of the movie. And that was the movie that was going to be so huge. Cause he was, such a big news thing. He defected from Russia and everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, and then some other movie and the third movie was this Rocky and the studio had so little faith in it, especially when, um, you know, they wanted James Caan to play Rocky and they, Oh man. And uh, Stallone stuck to his guns and said, uh, you know, um, he has to, well, you talk about somebody who's yeah. a role model. I mean, he literally, they would have given him a hundred grand for the script, goodbye. And a hundred grand is more money than he saw in his whole life. And uh, he said he has to direct it um, or, or nothing. And that's balls. I mean, that's like unheard of. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they, at that point, they just said, it was Mike Medavoy actually said, uh, you get a million bucks. And here's a little shrewdy. Bob's no longer with us, but this is how smart these guys are. Erwin Winkler, who I never even met, but these are probably the two smartest guys out there, were, anyway. Um, they said, okay, if the movie, like, because they said if this movie goes over budget, you're going to have to take the money out of your the other movies that are going to be a big hit, like Nuriev, mm-hmm. 
you're going to have to pay for it for, out of those movies, your profits in those movies. So they said, okay, but what about if this movie is a hit and there's a sequel? And they said, uh, they, they thought that this thing is going to come and go in two seconds or not even get finished. So I said, well, what do you suggest? And I said, well, if we do a sequel, could we be like 50-50 partners with the studio? And they said, yes. <laughs> True story. Wow. Rocky did what it did. A charter from Wingley didn't make that much on the original Rocky because they were producers with those kind of rip-off points that everything gets taken off the top. But then they went, they looked at the contract because they wanted to put a sequel in production immediately. And they went, hama, hama, hama. <laughs> and they, call, they called Bob and he said, they said, we got to like do some renegotiate. And, uh, and he said, nah. He says, you know, we don't really have to do a sequel. You know, like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, take a lead, like, you know, call me back in three years. And they wanted it immediately. But he just played it perfect just um but if you do a sequel you can't do it without us no one's gonna see rocky 2 without stallone so with so from there on they got 50 percent of um all the rocky profits i mean i was at bob's house his he was living next door to bruce willis and demi moore on one side on the beach and then he had a full lot empty just for his tennis court <laughs> holy shit man <laughs> And that was because they made that genius deal. Yeah. Bob told me they made more money on Rocky Five than they made on Rocky One. Now that is a real crime. Because <laughs> Rocky Five uh No, it's just it's just common sense. It's, sure. If they have a deal they're gonna get fifty percent. That was the thing. That's starting to I now I know why they made Rocky Five. That's starting to make a little bit more sense. And then th you know, they made all those friggin' uh, spinoffs, more power to them. Yeah. Yeah. All those people, you know, I was one of the great things about the seventies is I, I got to front row seat to see how, you know, all these things um, came about. In fact, I was pretty close friends um, with uh, Sage Stallone. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I used to talk to him for a long time on the phone and I met him a couple of times at festivals, but he told me some great stories about the shooting of Rocky. Cause he was a little kid. Right. Yeah. I said, your father should, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> you know that dog he would take the dog to philadelphia and he oh yeah they wouldn't let the dog on the plane you know regular and he's and he would never put the dog in uh in a kennel yeah so so he um he took the dog on the on the metro line and it going to philadelphia and it was all raining and stuff and the red, <laughs> you know that red carpet <laughs> yeah that big ass dog buckus that laid on the carpet and he was dot the red dye was on the whole thing <laughs> oh my god i'm like picturing that so anyway just before dawn i got that crew and uh um so i got a guy named uh joel king as a DP and he did a great job. Yeah. We were up there and, uh, and one of the things that, that when it struck me, I'm loving the crew and everything. And then I'm in the, you know, the scene in the um, church. Yes. And uh, Jamie Rose runs in there after the other guy gets stabbed and uh, she runs in, inside, closes the door. And, um, and then she goes to open up the door 
the, oh, before that happens, when she opens up the door and she says, who's there? And she opens the door and it's, it's uh, Ralph Seymour. Mm-hmm. He leaves his glasses. So it precedes the, the murder part. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway, I'm standing there and he goes, um, I'm trying to rehearse them. And this guy, Craig, uh, he's an art department. He comes up and he says, so you're trying to figure out like opening the door, closing the door, you know, the audience. He says, well, what John would do. <laughs> no way. <laughs> he he didn't mean any malice. No, sure. So I said to him, wait a minute. So she would go, then she would turn. Then the second time when you don't expect it, then open the door and it's not a killer that the audience thinks it's this guy. Mm-hmm. Right? So like the double do thing. Yeah, yeah. And I said to him, that's it. What John does is it's as if the people in the movie know they're in a horror movie. That's why they behave that way. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you don't go and then turn away and then go. It's the audience going, no, 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 no. <laughs> they don't hear the people going, no, no, don't open the door. Yeah. And then I realized that's, I told uh, Craig, Craig Stearns, I said, see, I'm not John Carpenter. Like that's what he does. This is a perfect <laughs> example of, we don't work the same way. It's not right or wrong. You know, if you go by money, he's right and I'm wrong. But that's the way I do it. Like the people don't know they're in a horror movie and don't behave. They behave the way as close as I can to the way most people would behave in that situation. Yeah, but that's uh, and that's what I like about your characters. Yeah, well, I mean, they how would she know there's something to be afraid of? At that point in the story. Sure, exactly. You know that. The audience knows it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. teasing and putting it down. is just So it was that. And then the best example of what I'm talking about was when Deborah Benson is alone at the campfire. Mm-hmm. And she hears a whistle in the distance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's squatting there. And in the script, which I totally rewrote. Yes. So yes. I'm writing it guy he's 360 pounds at least and he's got this machete and she weighs like 90 pounds soaking wet and uh that he comes roaring out of the woods ah scares the shit out of him and chases after her and i was standing there and it and we and it was we were in trouble because it starts to get light very early in july mm-hmm. and uh it's supposed to be night for night and my ad comes over and he goes What's the matter? He said, and I said, this sucks. <laughs> sucks. He says, you wrote it. I said, I know, I know. But when I'm looking at this, why would this guy have to do that? He could, he could, there's nobody around. He could do whatever he wants. Why would he do that? Why would mm-hmm. he come out as if he knows he's in a horror movie and he's going to go do the cliche thing and then go chase after him. Sure. And I said, that's it. I got it. So I went over to John Hunsucker, the guy who played the monster guy. And I said, listen, I explained that to him. I said, forget about coming running out. I said, you could do whatever you want. So you could toy with her. Eventually you're going to do horrible things to her, but you don't have to do it immediately. 
right? Mm-hmm. So um, what is she going to do, scream? Oh, right, nobody's left at that point. <laughs> well, there was, but she didn't, but he didn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so um, he, uh, so I said, you can just go and kneel down next to her, quiet as you can, kneel down next to her, and then blow the whistle in her ear. <laughs> and he turns to me, he goes, Lieberman, you're a sick fuck. This <laughs> reaction as an actor. I didn't, and I did not tell Deborah Benson. So when uh. you see that movie, her reaction is absolutely, she turned around. She didn't expect to see that face right in her face. She didn't know. That's fantastic. That's awesome. So that's my style because it's real. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I, but even on my own thing that I wrote, I have to see it. And then when I see it, I don't buy it. doesn't matter if I wrote it or who wrote it. Mm-hmm. I have to find some, make some sense out of it. Right. You got to believe it. Yeah. I have to believe it. For sure, yeah. And so people love that scene for that reason. It's a great flick. Uh, uh, that scene is is terrifying, too. <laughs> it's just, um, it's one of those things that um, has, uh, again, found its audience uh, now, you know. Um, and just just to kind of cap that off, um, I don't know if you remember, but we had we had met uh, back when my friend Evan and Ray uh, were running Crystal Plumage Films in, at the uh, Forum Theater in Metuchen, and they screened just before dawn in '35. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that was such a great night. Um, I I don't know if you remember, but I had brought a squirm poster for you to sign, and it was like this rare like Canadian theatrical release of it. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. To- <laughs> Europe, I see these Italian posters and just, I mean, the artwork is so out there that I never, I, you know, obviously I wasn't in on it. So I have to see it and I see it at screenings and festivals. People bring the most incredible. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's. Uh... So you come off just before dawn. Now, you had a, didn't you, wasn't there a deal in place with like Universal and they like pulled out? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to do with the movie. It had to do with the producer having when the dist- when the um, head of distribution because that's a a different department than the studio making the movie. It's in releasing the movie. So sure. the head of that had a bad backstory with the producer. Gotcha. And once he realized who the producer was, that thing fell apart. I could have had a stu- you know, basically a studio release. Yeah. And that's that's unfortunate because it, it's such a great film. So, so when that happens, now how does that affect the, the going into remote control? Uh, it really didn't. No, no. Um, remote control was really something that was um, existed because of the video. It's the video revolution itself that all of a sudden people were making movies that the studios were making so much money on it. They had no idea before that this pretend, this is a technology that didn't exist. And it was a cash cow to back up movies that just came in. It was manna from heaven. And they realized if you make certain like genre type movies and you make them for a price, you couldn't miss. And um, so to come up with an idea for a movie that fit the time. It was like a, 
what is that word they everybody uses meta yes <laughs> so it was very fast i mean i pitched it got a deal um and uh it was a company that was doing several movies at the same time one of the people um was robert downey senior really he did a movie called rented lips Another one was uh, Penelope Spiros. We were all working. It was five movies going on at the same time. Wow. And uh, that's when I did Remote Control. I got mm -hmm. Kevin Dillon. And I, Kevin, this was all in my book in detail, by the way. Uh, you don't have to spoil too much. <laughs> to, oh, you believe me. There's a lot of stories with John Lennon, stories with Sidney Poitier. And, oh, wow. George Burns and just real crazy huh. stuff. Um, but Kevin said, um, oh, uh, you got to, I, I needed a, a pound for him, the guy that works in the video store, mm -hmm. manager. And he says, you got to meet my buddy, my buddy that was from uh, um, Platoon. And I said, yeah, okay, okay. And I meet this guy and he was boring as hell. <laughs> And then I'm like watching the dailies on video of the, you know, we record a little bit of each guy um, for casting and I'm at home watching it on TV. And my daughter comes by and she was like a teenager. And she goes, Oh my God, who's that? He's beautiful. <laughs> I said, he is. I don't know. Yeah. That's Kevin's friend, Johnny something. And I didn't hire him. And Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know, right? When it comes to when it comes to <laughs> passing uh, casting on, well, you know, Squirm. I had Martin Sheen, um, Stallone, and Kim Bassinger. I had all of them. All I had to do was say yes. No, <laughs> artiste. So anyway, yeah, Jeff Goldblum for Blue Sunshine. He would have been the doctor. Oh, really? <laughs> His father was a fucking surgeon, and he comes in for a role for a surgeon, the doctor. <laughs> no shit. I already had Salmon King, and I have these two guys. And if I didn't, if, if Salmon King wasn't the lead, I would have cast Jeff as the um, as the doctor. But they looked, I, I looked at the two of them doing the scene in front of me, and their noses, they looked like anteaters. <laughs> I said, how can I subject the audience to this image? <laughs> I didn't cast him, so we went, okay, I'll do Jurassic Park. <laughs> sure. I have the golden touch. <laughs> <laughs> the time that I, I think I really screwed up in casting, I lost my golden touch is Catherine Winnick. Yeah. I, I told her, I said, listen, if I cast you, because I was down to the wire, I said, if I cast you, I want you to know that you're probably never going to work again. <laughs> Well, she did. I, I said, if I don't give you this role, you're going to be like, you know, uh, Jennifer La whatever, Lawrence or whatever her name is. You're going to be um, huge if, if you don't get the role. She said, oh, come on, you're being too hard. I said, no, I'm telling you, I have a track record, a perfect track record. That, <laughs> and she broke the thing. And then I saw this billboard with her with the Vikings. I went, yep. oh, leave her. 
you lost your touch. You cast her and she made it anyway. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was going to ask how she was to work with specifically because I know her from Vikings. Me and my girlfriend got really into that show and she's great on it. Yeah, before. OK, so let's just roll right into Satan's Little Helper. So if, if guys, uh, a dumpster dwellers listening, if you have not listened to the review of Satan's Little Helper, please go listen to that first because we're going to probably get into some spoilers here. Oh, well, I was just saying just because it was interesting to see her in one of her earlier roles. Obviously, she's done other stuff uh, besides Satan's Little Helper, but it was one of the only other things I've personally seen her in. And uh, I thought she was good. I thought she was good in this. I think she's fantastic. I think everybody's very good in this film. I mean, I mean, not, she doesn't necessarily compare to Lagatha in, in Vikings, where she's literally chopping people's heads off. But, I mean, totally different role, to be fair. And <laughs> <laughs> she got that role um, because of her martial arts ability. Mm. You know, she has a black belt and all that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So she can do her own stunts and all that. That was a big thing. But I, but I thought that she did a great job, and she was totally so easy to work with that she was very professional, and she just, uh, you know, where somebody like, and, you know, easy to work with, it doesn't mean anything anyway, because um, right. it's harder to work with than Amanda, Amanda Plummer is so hard to work with. Really? Really? Well, everybody says that. She's crazy. She's this. She's that. Mm-hmm. They say that about Dustin Hoffman. I don't really? care. What I care about is talent. Sure. My job as a director is to figure out how to get that talent on the screen, period. There's no excuse. Well, this one is easy to work with. No, it's it's just that's what you have to do. And Amanda, you know, I know personally, you know, we're friends. And, um, you know, I feel free to just say you're crazy, but it's the kind of crazy that you got to go to her store to get her talent. Sure. She's very unique. Mm-hmm. Very unique. And so you work with her and you're not up to the task. It's not her problem. Because <laughs> no. yeah, I, I, I like all the the main cast you had in this film, specifically Amanda Plummer, Catherine Winnick, and uh, the little boy. I, 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 what's his name? Alexander Brickett or Bruckett? Yeah, uh, Brickell. Brickell. Right. He was the, the, the main three were very good. Um, and everybody else was good too, but they stuck out at me. Because um, this was this was my first time watching it uh, before we uh, got on the phone with you, and I liked it a lot. Creating the um, the Satan Man guy was fun because we did it right on the floor. I mean, you can't, you know, in a little bit in rehearsal. I'm just I wrote this thing, but I don't know how. Again, like talking about Romero's zombies thing, he didn't give them any kind of personality. You know, they were just right. flaming their arms and eating people where um with this to match the guy you know the insanity of the the look of the the mask um i just wanted to you know like create a character that's nuts but smart nuts yeah Mm -hmm. he's not he's not the guy from halloween that just is like a blank killing machine and Mm -hmm. um and so we, a lot of that stuff we came up with right then and there. The thumbs up. Oh. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, I just told him what to do and he did it. And uh, here's a spoiler that's not even a spoiler that you don't know, even though you saw the movie. When we, sh- we shot the movie and the stunts were done by a stunt man with that costume on, which is kind of, not surprising, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
seeing the same actor, right? Like a fight or any kind of thing like that. Mm -hmm. But think about it. You don't see what the guy looks like at all. No. It just has to be that height. So then um, we got to, um, we finished it, but we had all this other stuff that we had to wait for the fall to shoot. And there were quite a few scenes, but the, like in the cemetery, mm. all that mm -hmm. stuff, and mm -hmm. just different nuggets of scenes. And the guy, got his name, the guy that played the original, and he was very good, the guy that played the um, Satan man, he decided, he was giving us all kinds of problems. Of get, he didn't want to go back and forth on Long Island. He had to go feed his cat. <laughs> You know, maybe what was behind it was he wanted more money. I don't know what it was. But I remember thinking, uh, which I said to the producers, does he realize that anybody can play? Now that I have that character down. Right. And you don't hear his voice. I could do it. Sure. Right. So so I said, you know, tell him to fuck off. <laughs> I said, one more. We gave him one more. I said, if you don't come down here. And he kept saying, talk to my agent i said if you take say talk to my agent one more time your history and um he he said talk to my agent what a shithead <laughs> i know so so i said to my ad guess what he says what i said you uh neil you're the right height you could do this so you know when he when the satan man comes to the house with a woman the old woman oh yeah that's my ad <laughs> The whole thing, looking at his watch, all that yes, shit. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God. I would have never known. I, that's my point. That's the point I was trying to make to the, this guy. Yeah. Directions to anybody, and they're going to do what I tell them to do. Yeah, especially like you just said, you, you got the character now. You know the uh, way he performs. You just tell the next person to mimic that. <laughs> yeah. Because I was the one that was telling the first guy what to sure. do. Sure. Neil Daly? Yep. Neil Daly. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Neil, I forgot you. <laughs> I get very nervous in these interviews, and I just blank on people's names. Totally fine. <laughs> so anyway, um, ah, screw them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I I just had Neil. He did that. He was the guy in the, uh, in the um, with, his, with the little kid in the cemetery, that whole scene. That's yeah. Neil. Um, a couple other things, walking along. You don't know. Now, was the original guy in the Jesus outfit and the cop outfit at the end, or was that also Neil? The guy in the no, that's the that's the first guy. Okay, okay. Josh Annex is his name, I think. Yeah, him. yeah. Josh. He he did the Jesus thing, and here's a funny story with that. We do we're doing the movie, and you know the Jesus, uh, the um, Satan man, you know, throughout the picture, and then we get to the first time you're going to see. I think it was in that house, the um, the Satan man shows up as Jesus. Mm -hmm. For the first time, you see him as Jesus because the kid said, pray to God. Oh, right. <laughs> you came. <laughs> so he's up in makeup, right? And he comes down the stairs. And again, Neil Daly and Neil could verify had him on the show. Anybody that was on that crew that went to Catholic school including Neil and my wife went to Catholic school, but she wasn't there, but they freaked out. Oh, In other words, Jesus scared the living shit out of them. Not say, not the Satan. 
<laughs> Neil was, he had to walk out. I said, what's the matter? He said, I got to get some air. I said, you, you're serious, aren't you? He was so shaken up by seeing wow. this, this vision of, of Jesus Christ where, I said, but the Satan, isn't that the guy? No, <laughs> heavy duty thing he was dealing with. And he wasn't the only one. And then I, wow. you know, a lot of ramifications to that because the movie was practically banned in the South American countries. Really? Yeah, you don't you don't screw around with Satan and Jesus and I kind of love that whole idea though, like that you that you put out there where this guy is just like fuck it, I need a new costume, I'll wear the Jesus one. <laughs> like why not? When you get into religious doctrine and stuff, they don't care about that what you are talking about. All right, right. The rules and and the fact is that uh, you know it, what I'm doing in the movie, I'm saying to me, it's one of the most, I don't know, the word I'll sell, uh, patting myself on the back. <laughs> Tooting your own horn. <laughs> the, the idea of likening Batman, Superman, um, Spider-Man, right. Jesus, Satan, it's all the same thing. Yeah, sure. No, yeah. sure yeah. And why shouldn't it be? Like who could when I was a kid, who can win in a fight, Superman or Godzilla? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Not Jesus. This is before we just went from comic books. So this is before you know all these incredible um, new characters came up, and so it's the same thing. It's like to a kid, what's the difference between Santa Claus, the devil? These are characters, right? So at a certain point, you say now Johnny. You know, there is no um, uh, Santa Claus. There is no Batman. There's no, there's no <laughs> right. Superman. There's not, but there is. But there these is two Jesus, this right? Is Satan. They also like right, right. You know, so so to this kid, it's the same thing. It's like if he's going to pray, right? Communicate. You don't do it with a handheld device, and you and you pray, and then he comes to the door. Why wouldn't he? Um, that's what God looks like, is what he's told. Mm-hmm. Right. No, yeah, yeah. They had a huge problem with that. And, and I mean, I don't mean to be trampling over any questions Joe may have for you specifically, but I, I also kind of enjoyed that, you know, how the movie ended where it's like, oh, it's a cop. We can trust this guy. But it's like, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> he's not talking. The kid's bringing him in and the family's just like, oh, OK, yeah, it's a cop. Sure. Yeah, bring him in. No problem. <laughs> I'm like, OK, yeah, that, that lines up. Yeah, you know what? I um, actually have the one huge, re- well, one of the biggest regrets on that movie is why did I indicate that he had a mask on? Oh, like in the one shot where you can kind of see it? Yeah, yeah. What was I thinking? And why didn't anybody tell me why does he need a mask? If he's intended to kill them, what does he care if they know what he looks like? Sure. It's also one of those things, too, where I now I've seen this movie a bunch of times. It was Sean's first time, though, so I was really excited to show him because it's a great flick. I just want to put yeah. that out there. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite Halloween flicks to watch. But um, but yeah, I, I always noticed that like he wasn't at, he's implied to be wearing a mask, but it seems like you had some kind of prosthetic on his cheek to kind of do that because the front of his face was just a regular guy. No, you didn't see, you didn't see the front of his face. And so it indicated the thing on the cheek was that he had a full mask. He didn't really have a full mask on, but it, we put something there to make it look like he right. did. And I don't know why I did that. It was like, what does he need a mask for? Yeah. He need a mask if he didn't intend to kill them and right. they could identify him. And they don't know what he looks like anyway. They don't know what he looks like anyway, so they would let him in as a yeah. cop. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And they and he wouldn't care if they see him because they're going to be dead. And in fact, I thought of a scene um, that I was intending to shoot to end the picture would be the morning after, um, you know, the morning after Halloween, like November 1st. <laughs> and the camera would see these kid, dead kids that ate the poison candy. Oh, God, right. Oh, my God, I forgot <laughs> yeah. about that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Down and the camera moves in, moves in, and moves into the house. And on the front deck of the house is that the three of them, Amanda Plummer and Catherine and the and the boy. Oh man, propped dead and propped up on the bench. Oh, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you, Jeff. I would have kind of loved that. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason I didn't do it is we couldn't we couldn't do it. Sure, sure. If it was a studio picture, it would have been like. Absolutely. You're already there. You're <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> You're working on these low budget movies. It's like, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. I get that 100%. Yeah. I, the juxtaposition that you that you did in the film between like likening the real life to the video game thing and all that kind of stuff and how this kid is just blowing all of this out of proportion to the point where, you know, he's he thinks it's just a big game. It's just so um, brilliant to me like i love the concept of this and again let that mix between um you know the ho- the horror and the comedy because the funny stuff is very dark humor that i'm totally into but when you get to those bone chilling moments like when when there's no music happening and like he's just staring at them through this mask it's terrifying <laughs> um it's just really, really well done. And then, of course, the audience knows that that's, you know, the Satan Not man, him. Yeah, not, yeah. not who they think it is. And then, like, you, you have these characters that, you know, we know that it's not that's not him, but they're treating him, you know, like he's the other guy. And then when just that that feeling, your heart starts to race as soon as, the, the, you know, the other characters kind of feel that this isn't the same guy or it's not who they think it is. It's just like, oh, man, it's very intense. You know, it's funny that when we, we were shooting that in the um, in the house and she realizes that this is not who she thinks it is, even though the audience knew it. Yeah. You could feel the tension. You know, when you're directing a movie, like you, you always starting out, you go, well, you know, we'll fix it in editing or we'll make it work in editing. And sometimes that's true. But if, if something works right there on the floor where you see the cameras and you see the lights, you know, everything that's fake is right in front of you and, and it still works, you know? Yeah. 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 That's when it's great. That's when it's great because it's only going to get better with music or whatever you're going to do. Sure. But, uh, that, that, um, the, the, most classic time that that happened with me, fortunately it happened on my first film, was when Roger got the worms up his face, the Rick Baker. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy, it was next to this um, kind of a swamp, and uh, you got big fey lights. Those are the daylight fey lights. You have um, a crew of 30 people. You have, you know, microphone, all the shit, two cameras, and you got guys behind him with monofilament line to pull the worms up through his, you know, the prosthetic in his face, mm-hmm. right? And it's still, you looked at it and him screaming with a thing and it was like earth shaking. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Sitting there, and I said there was a guy whose name is Mongo. His nickname was Mongo after that Mel Brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was a big guy, like 300-pound uh, gaffer. And somebody said, where's Mongo? And they said, Mongo's pu- out. He's by the, the swamp puking. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we got a hit. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's yeah, what you yeah, want to yeah. hear. From what he saw, it's so, it, how unreal could it look? Whether you'd see all these props and everything, and you know exactly how it's being done, and they're not real worms, and it's not really happening, and it still made them throw up. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You nailed it. <laughs> it was a similar thing that you just know. It's yeah. very rare. I mean, I, maybe the better directors and bigger movies that, you know, maybe it happens all the time where you just know right then and there that you're watching something that just, uh, it's just working, you know? Absolutely. There's a, the, the scene, uh, at the Halloween party where everybody's there and, and the Satan man pours a Drano in the, uh, punch, uh, fountain and stuff like that. There is a, there's a gentleman in the background that looks like that scene. Did you, did you, can you confirm that for me? If the guy in the background was supposed to be, um, what's his face from squirm with all the things in his face, all the worms. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh yeah. He put, he wore a mask with worms coming out. He had the makeup guy do that because he's coming as the guy from squirm. It was yeah. in, you know, inside joke. That's great. I just wanted to confirm that with you. Cause I was like, that totally looks like it, but I just wanted to ask Jeff, <laughs> you know, um, Amanda, wasn't even there for half that shooting because that was a stunt girl. Really? Well, you think Amanda Plummer's, you know. When she's <laughs> well, I, well, not when she's falling and hitting her face on the banister and stuff. <laughs> when she fell out of the car. Yeah. That's a stunt person. Yeah, right, right. Right? Mm-hmm. But you, but it really worked because first you see Amanda and then I widen the shot and it's not Amanda, but she, the, the stunt person in the same spot, trickerations. Yeah, yeah. She falls, and then coming in, it's Amanda in the front of the place. And then when she comes in the door, I put the camera on the top of the stairs, shooting mm-hmm. down, and that's a stunt girl walking across and banging into the. <laughs> and then we cut it all together. I mean, if you know what you're doing, because it was my fifth movie, not my first. Yeah, you do stuff and it's flawless. You know, you don't have to wait to cut it together. You know, it's going to work. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, it did because I couldn't tell. Like, yeah, of course, there's a stunt woman. Not, you're not going to have Amanda. Well, uh, right. In, in, in that saran wrap, being pushed around like a fucking toy. Yeah, uh, I get that. Although, with that said, was she uh, actually in that scene where she's trying to get everyone's attention and they're passing her around? Is that actually her? Yeah, it's just for the close-ups. If she got bounced around, it's not her. Okay, got you, got you, got you. That that was a that was an intense scene, just because oh, yeah. you know you have her vi- the way she p- portrayed that whole scene with you just watch her eyes the whole time and nobody's getting it. All these yuppies and she's watching them pour the Drano in and trying to warn people and they just they don't get it. They're not even <laughs> trying to get it. Uh, just it, it was really effective. It was just terrifying because you knew e- even though the Satan man's doing it kind of like comically with the way he's pouring it in and doing like double takes to make sure nobody's watching. You're like, oh shit, that's Drano. Essential idea that when I said before that it can only happen on Halloween. This yeah. Oh yeah. Because when I got the idea of how we, when you see these these um, displays that are so sophisticated and all, and how do you know it's not a dead real dead right sure and if you did have a real dead person on any other day they go holy shit there's a dead (laughs) (laughs) 
Right, but at Halloween, nobody's checking the bodies. Somebody's hanging from a tree in front of a house. You go, oh boy, they're sick. They have the, this Halloween. And guess what? Not two months after we did the movie, that's exactly what happened. Somebody was hanging just like oh the old God. lady in the movie. Oh, just like the, in, the, in the movie. She was there for like a week before they realized it. Oh, my God. Her. Oh, my God. And they thought it was a Halloween decoration. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's literally what happens in the movie. He's watching it happen. Those bullies come up and are like, oh, oh, we knew it was fake. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's what, you know, that that really validated the idea. You know? Oh, yeah. Heard that. I thought, I hope this really encourages people to, if you want to kill somebody and get away with it, wait till <laughs> Right, right. It's perfect day, clearly. And again, too, like, I, I feel like, I so I think Just Before Dawn is your best film, but this is so close second for me. Um, it, it, well, it's it, so different. They're not even. No. I mean, I, the one thing, you know, if I read what people say. I don't know. I just do my thing. But sure. I, I, I don't see any point in repeating myself like i'm always looking to not try to do something different but it's just the way my mind works like why do i want to do something again mm -hmm. another kids in the woods movie like you know what i mean no totally so um that the variety that people always point out that you got five movies and none of them are they all the one thing they say that i take as the compliment as the artist if i could use that word is that they say that they're all totally different, but it's clear that the same person made them all. Correct. That's the best. You could say, hey, Jeff, I saw all five of your movies. I hate them. They all suck. You suck. <laughs> however, however, I could tell the same person made every one of those shit movies. It was the same guy. I take that as a compliment. Yeah, totally get that. Yeah, sure. Because that's all you could do. You can't control how people are going to react to something but and you don't do it consciously no all it means is that um more or less i'm just being honest with myself when i work that's mm -hmm. all. it has your touch yeah you so, know there was a time where these guys in la said the lebo touch <laughs> you keep saying the lebo touch what is it? He said, well we can't explain it to you but you know what it is i said no i don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew what it was, I would do it more. No, 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 because you do that, then it's not going to work. <laughs> right, if you do it consciously, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, one other thing I, I did want to ask you about Satan's Little Helper is um, you, you you put these like red herrings throughout the film, at least, at least for me, where I was kind of watching the movie trying to figure out who the killer was, and I'm thinking, okay, so they're saying the dad's not working on Saturday, and that's unusual. Maybe it's the dad. Then you introduce, oh, maybe it's this arson that she went to school with, and we, we really never find that out. And or or maybe it's the boyfriend's father. And I kind of appreciated that because throughout the film, obviously, you find out it's not this guy, this guy, or this guy, and then you're just like, huh, who the hell is it then? I don't know. I just, I, I just personally like that a lot. It kept me uh, thinking throughout the film. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just figured that if you have something like that going on, people are going to ask questions like, you know, people are dead. Sure. Oh, yeah. Who is this person? And like in any place that's enclosed like that, um, you know, you're just going to, it was just natural to say it was a local arsonist or whatever. Mm -hmm. Sure. Kind of, but you know, um, by the way, that island that they're on, yeah. yes. there's no such island. <laughs> 
You mean there's no Derry, Maine either? Yeah, but I'm not even talking about that. <laughs> that it's a, an island that we shot on that we renamed the island to Bell Island. Right. There's no island, period. Oh, geez. The bulk of the movie that you saw was shot in Westchester in New York, and the house is in White Plains. Couldn't be more. Wow. Island, nothing, no water anywhere near it. And um, so in order to make it seem like it was an island, like um, so we did second unit shooting up in Maine, where, um, and, you know, when in the opening of the movie, the first thing you see is that, um, that um, SUV going mm-hmm. towards the right in the distance. That's me driving, <laughs> nobody else in that car in October when the leaves were changed. My DP shot that. And then when the thing, and then when you see inside, it's what we shot months before that in Connecticut near the water there. You know, with Dougie yeah. playing with his game and talking to Amanda. Yeah. When they pull up, it's second unit in the distance a big um ferry is coming that's in maine in uh i could do a film class on just identifying yeah. every shot opening <laughs> the movie. it shows you what you can once you know what you're doing and you're doing low budget movies yes you have to know the film language to pull this off to make the audience think that they're seeing what they're not seeing right mm-hmm. that she's going to pick her up at the ferry and and they live on an island, but there is no island. Right. So, the, so the the thing pulls in. I mean, every other shot was second unit. Two months later, they get off this ferry. It's back in Connecticut. They get in the car. They're in Westchester, and then they're going through Tarrytown. And then another shot is second unit in Maine, in some small town, sea town, that's made up with Halloween in October. And then they finally pull into a driveway in White Plains. So by the time the titles are over, you've seen all of that. And you think that the movie takes place on an island. And then later on, uh, there's a Misty at night right. driving. Is Maine, but it's not them in the car. It's me driving. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and it was two months later. Everything fits together so seamlessly. Yeah, yeah that's and what I, I was say. And I really appreciate it because, like you said, it is a low-budget flick, so you don't have the time or the money to be like, all right, we're going to wait and, and do all this. You know what I mean? Like, you, you took what you had and you, and you put it all together. Part of this, you can, you know, a studio would say, okay, we shoot the movie on an island. Yeah, exactly. Put people in hotels. Yeah. Starts to get expensive quick. It's expensive, but they don't. They don't care, right? No. So, so that's you know we had to cross that off. The you know people had to go home at night, or you go broke, mm-hmm. right? So that's where the trickery to make it seem like it's more than it is. Um, that's from experience. Really incredible. Um, it's 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 such it's such an excellent film and and you did a really great job <laughs> and uh and again it's it's like one of those staples for halloween for me and if anything we just want to kind of spread the word who have if people haven't seen it you know we'll watch it religiously now yeah mm-hmm. halloween and i said boy you know the original christmas story the gene shepherd yeah bob clock that was not a hit no and so it got word of mouth year after year and eventually it became this phenomenon on television where they would have a christmas story marathon yeah 
And so I should only live to see the day <laughs> with Satan's little help. But 24 hours of Satan's <laughs> October 31st. But it's, it really does. It is, um, you know. Oh, I, you know who dug the movie is Bob Dylan. Real? Oh, there's a lot of Bob Dylan stuff in this, by the way. <laughs> um, I just. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but yeah, because I got, I, I. I got the uh, the music and the mayor's dressed up as one point for Halloween. Yeah, you know who that is? That's uh, Ratso Larry Ratso Sloman. Oh, really? <laughs> like, listen to Howard Stern. He wrote, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ratso wrote um, both Howard Stern uh, books, uh, Private Parts, and uh, Miss America. Both mm-hmm. wrote, and Ratso and I have a company called Shallow Entertainment. And um, so I said, wrestling in the movie, <laughs> you know, a, little, a little overweight to play Bob Dylan, but what the hell. And then I, I licensed the music and I found out that Bob, you know, saw the movie in a motel or something. He really loved it. He wanted his own DVD. Well, there you go. That's that. That's a huge sign of approval. His endorsement then like Ebert. You know. Right. <laughs> sure. No. Yeah. Same. Other people. Um, that I, you know, in England, they really dug it. That, like you were talking about earlier, like you're not going to make it like John Carpenter. John Carpenter's not going to make it like you. Like everyone's going to do their own thing. Right, right. In my book, to have John Lennon, Tippi Hedren, right, you know, George Burns, Sidney Poitier, and these are all, these are not just Hello, Hawaii. These are stories of me interrelating either working with them, Sydney Pony I worked with, um, uh, Rod Serling. If you go on YouTube again and you put in Jeff uh, Rod Serling, Jeff Lieberman, one of the entire sessions that we did for the art of film is on there. We did six of them, and one of them is on there, me at like 21 years old directing fucking Rod Serling. This was four years before I did Squirrel. That's amazing. I can't. I still can't believe it. And you hear the way I'm talking to him, and him at one point he tells me to fuck off. <laughs> Rod Serling said that to you? Yeah. I mean, we had we got along unbelievable. In fact, in fact, his his daughter Anne Serling, she heard it and she said, "I could really, I could tell my father really liked you." Well, that's a compliment. <laughs> the way we talk back and forth, but you can hear. Him clearing his voice, saying, I want to do it again, the truck. It was the whole <laughs> session. It wasn't just the, the dialogue. Right, not edited down or anything. I wish That's I could awesome. find the other ones, but, you know, only have that one. That's incredible. Well, I mean, the book is going to cover all that stuff and all the Hollywood. Uh, you know, I did a, about a documentary on Sonny Liston. Yes, I did. I did see that. I mean, I haven't actually seen it, but I saw that that you had uh, done it. Story of me and Sonny Liston is another big story, and uh, uh, the one I did, I did a thing with Rob Reiner for time huh. called "But Seriously." It was a very big budget uh, documentary, full length, hour and a half for Showtime. All that stuff is in there. People don't know that about me because they only know the genre. You know. Sure. No, sure, yeah, yeah. I was surprised to see that uh, myself, to be quite honest. So I'm excited to to check that out. I hope if all the stuff I usually do these appearances, and it'd be great to you know for the fans to not just get the book, but for the same price for me to sign it for them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but I can't do that until <laughs> there was two film festivals that I had to cancel. Uh, 
one in Rome and one in uh, Brussels because of the COVID thing. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got our fingers crossed here that hopefully uh, within the next uh, short period of time, we have some progress in that department. I guess we're waiting yeah. on that vaccine as of this recording. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much, Jeff. Really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and talking with us uh, and telling us some great stories. Really looking forward to the book. And uh, and yeah, we'll catch up soon. Yeah. And just keep, uh, you know, when when the time comes, if you guys can spread the word. It's not it, like I work with John Waters. He's in there, too. And John always said, why are we promoting our show now? I said, why not? He said, because people don't, if you, they want to know what's on tonight or this weekend. Right. And he's so right. He said, why are they wasting? Nobody cares if something that's coming in the fall. Or- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says, I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they do And he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So like, until I could say the book, go to Amazon, click and buy it. Sure the time to really promote it sure and we'll totally do that too absolutely so that'll be there all right thanks so much jeff take care have a good one you too so that's it we hope you enjoyed that interview and make sure to be on the lookout for jeff's book day of the living me and we'll be sure to keep you posted when it drops as well hey everybody if you want some more bad movie goodness you can check us out at moviedumpsterpodcast.com subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast and make sure to leave us a five-star review if you dig the show because it helps us get out of the bottom of the dumpster and into more eardrums yeah and if you're on the social medias you can follow us at movie dumpster on instagram facebook and twitter where were you and where's alex okay we went to the store and got the candy then seaton let me ride in the shopping cart and we ran all these people over Then he took me to hell where we went trick-or-treating. It was so cool. My master hung this old lady out the window, and we poisoned all the candy. Dougie, where is your master? The police got him, but he doesn't care, because he'll just tape them up and cut their guts Dougie, do you realize what you're saying? Start giving out the candy. Fill up those little bags I found, and when Sane comes, tell him I'd like to have a little talk with him. Isn't that a little chancy? I mean, this is Halloween. Isn't that when all the creepy things were supposed to stock the earth? It deals with demons. Demon resurrection of those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant but are never truly dead. It's Halloween, gentlemen. Halloween, have you forgotten? They're coming to get you, Barbara. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Trick or treat.